Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Some of us are more risk takers than others. Some of us like to play it safe. So this morning, we're going to do a little test, okay? And I want you to keep score. I'm going to give you a variety of scenarios, and you're just going to give yourself a point if this is an activity that you would engage in. We're going to decide who are the risk takers and who wants to play it safe. Who are those that want a little more adventure in their life, and who wants to arrive alive? So if, if you see this scenario, and it's something that you would actually engage in, I want, just, I want you just to give yourself a point and keep track of the points that you earn. Because at the end, we'll have a scale of who wants to take it easy and who wants to risk everything. Are you ready to play? Uh-oh. Are, are you ready to play? Okay, all right. So... Some of you didn't want to answer because in answering you thought it was a risk, evidently. All right, number one, kayaking with whales. Just give yourself a point, yes or no. Uh, maybe the bar is pretty low here, but going out in the ocean, maybe in Alaska, you know, you're out there with great big whales. Killer whales, sure, why not? Any whales, any whales. We'll just say any whales, any whales. All right, this next one, cliff jumping. You uh, jump from rocks, outcroppings into deep pools of water. Um, some of you, I, I've done this, great time. Uh, preferably warmer water is better, but uh, great time, great time. Hopefully I'm, I'm getting a couple of you to just jump, jump right off the cliff. Uh, this next one, maybe some of you have done this, bungee jumping. Maybe you have uh, jumped off a platform or some sort of rock outcropping with a, a large bungee cord strapped to your ankles. Uh, and you would do this. If, had, if you had the money and the opportunity, you would definitely take the leap. Are you, are you a risk taker? How are you doing so far? Do you know what your score is? Okay. All right. Good. Good. Uh, there at the, at the Wisconsin Dells, there's a, a little, um, there's a mechanism, I don't know what else, it's a machine. Um, it looks something like this, maybe this is you. So, uh, are you a risk taker? How are we doing? That's four, that's four, all right, being catapulted in a mind-boggling ejection seat at Wisconsin Dells, all right? Now, some of, you, some of you might enjoy this one. If you are an explorer, if you like hiking, this is taking it up a notch. This is like hiking on steroids. Uh, spelunking. Spelunking is where you find small crevices in rocks, and you have a hard hat and a light, and you crawl through the crevices like this guy, covered in mud, uh, trying to find the recesses of the earth. Journey to the center of the earth, going spelunking. Any of you? Some of you? Okay, all right. How about this next one? Jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. That face that she's making is a happy face, okay? 
You get to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. You get to hurl yourself down through the air going insane kinds of speeds until a parachute hopefully opens and you land safely on the ground. How about this one? Climbing a rock wall with ropes. Now you get ropes. There's a harness with ropes. All right, now let's go the other way. Climbing without ropes, anybody? Uh, this is actually a picture of a guy free climbing El Capitan in California, this vertical cliff. All right, anybody? Anybody? No? No? I see a lot of people going, no way. All right? All right, if that, if that doesn't get you your blood going, maybe this next video will. It's called wing base jumping. You take a, a high enough platform in a wingsuit and you jump off. And you do your best Buzz Lightyear impression. You're not flying, you're falling with style, okay? All right, last one, last one. Hopefully you've kept score. Diving with sharks. Diving with sharks, getting down there, petting the sharks, seeing how it goes, just wondering. All right, now how'd you do? How'd you do? You have a score? All right, here's the scale, all right? If you scored an 8 to a 10, if you scored an 8 to a 10, then you are definitely a risk taker and you need a good life insurance policy. Okay, if you scored an 8 to a 10, that's what you need in life. If you score anywhere from a 4 to a 7, you enjoy having fun, but you love your family. God bless you. If you scored a 0 to a 3, you may need to get out some more, okay? Now... Whether you scored a zero or you scored a ten, you need to know this morning that God is a risk-taking God and He wants to lead a risk-taking people. That the focus of God's mission in the world with people means that His people need to be risk-takers. In fact, when we love where we live, we will take risks that no one else will take. When we live and love in our community, we will take risks that no one else will. We've been in this series, Love Where You Live, and, and really the purpose of this series has, has been, hey, uh, as a group of people, as a church, as a community, uh, we are saying, hey, we need to be involved in the lives of the people who are around us. We need to be involved with our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues. Uh, we need to be involved in, in, in local government. We need to be involved in organizations uh, in our communities already. We need to be and have a presence in our community. And when we do that, we will be risk takers. 
We will risk something. And in order for us to see that that God is a risk-taking God and that He asks His people to be a risk-taking people, uh, we're going to go to two places in Scripture where Jesus, the Son of God, happens to be. Uh, We're going to see where He operates in this world and He shows us that He has risked something with us. And where He shows us that we ought to risk something in engaging others. The first is going to be in the end of Matthew, and the second is going to be toward the end of Luke. So will you join me at the end of Matthew? Matthew chapter 28, if you have one of those pew Bibles in front of you. If it's the hardbound edition, I think it's going to be 698. I noticed this morning that there were a few new Bibles out there. They're the soft covers, and I think it's going to be page 1,000 or right about there. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, that's where we are going to begin our time this morning. God is a risk-taking God, and He encourages people, His people, to be a risk-taking people. At the end of Matthew, uh, Jesus has already been crucified, He has resurrected, and um, He is going to go up a mountain. He is going to leave from that mountain. He's going to ascend into heaven. He is going to go up into the clouds until his disciples can't see him anymore. But before he does, before he returns to heaven so that he might sit with God in heaven until he comes again, as he goes up, before he does that, he gives his disciples a directive. Some of you have come to this and you have, have realized that, that Jesus gives them a commission. Some people call it a great commission. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's at this directive that That Jesus takes an incredible risk. God, through the person of Jesus, risks the message and the ministry of the kingdom of God to a ragtag bunch of disciples who have already demonstrated time and again that they don't always quite get it. God takes a chance. He opens up the ministry and the message of the gospel for the rest of humanity, and he hands it to people. I mean, can you imagine this scene? There is authority being given to these disciples. They've spent time with Jesus, sure, uh, but over and over again, they've made mistakes. They've made blunders in their own ministry. And here is Jesus Risking everything and giving it to them. It's it's the picture of a father 
who's trying to say goodbye to his son when he drops him off at college. There he is in front of the dorm room door trying to let go of his son because he recognizes something's going to happen here. I am entrusting you, son, now to make the good choices that we have raised you to make. You have the family name with you. What will you do with it? And he embraces his son one last time, and then he leaves, and he walks out the door knowing that now his son must carry on the family name. It's a mom who, who has to take her babies, and she has to go She has to give them to the the daycare person for the first time. And she has to actually release her baby. This baby's her baby. And she actually has to hand over the baby because she knows she has to entrust this child to someone other than herself. And she is risking something, isn't she? It's it's the business owner. He's built the business from ground zero. It's his. He's done everything. He has poured himself into this business week after week, day after day, hour after hour. He has toiled. He, he has made sacrifices to make sure that this business works well. Uh, but he knows. He knows at some point uh, there's going to come that time when he has to hand over the business to a manager. Otherwise, the business itself is going to kill him. And so he takes this extraordinary risk And before he goes out of town, he tries to have this conversation with his manager about how important this really is. That's the scene in Matthew 28. That's the scene with Jesus as he takes the keys of the kingdom and he hands them to his disciples. And he says, I am going to let you have the car. And he risks everything. To a ragtag bunch. How do we know they're a ragtag bunch? Well, we know that they've had their own ministry blunders, haven't we? I mean, we don't have to look very far. If you went back just a few chapters in Matthew to Matthew chapter 16, uh, there's this extraordinary encounter between Jesus and Peter, and, and, and Jesus asked the question. And the question that, that Jesus asked of his disciples is, well, who do people say that I am? And Peter, being Peter, just kind of blurts out where you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's after this, after this uh, glorious kind of uh, answer, this right answer that Peter gives of Jesus. And Jesus then begins to say, well, okay, now you need to know that I have to go and suffer and die. This was why I have come. I have to go and suffer and die. The cross was firmly in the crosshairs, if you will, for Jesus. He had to go. It was his mission. It was part of his identity. And shortly after that, Peter goes to Jesus. And you may know what happens. Uh, Peter comes to Jesus and begins to rebuke Jesus uh, because he doesn't think he should have to go to the cross. 
And it's at that that Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You think that was a ministry mistake on Peter's part? Absolutely. But it wasn't just Peter, was it? If you go a few chapters later in chapter 20, a mom gets involved, James and John. Maybe you've heard of them. They're two of the other disciples next to Peter. And, and James and John, mom comes in and, and she wants the best for her boys. Moms, do you want the best for your children? Of course you do. And she sees an opportunity and she goes and she begins to talk to Jesus and she says, maybe with James and John on either, on either hand, and she begins to talk to Jesus and, and she says, hey, Jesus, and this is the Cahill Revised Standard Version, okay? She says, hey, Jesus, here's my two sons. I'd like for them to be able to, to sit at your right and on your left. And what she's really saying is, hey, Jesus, when your kingdom comes, uh, when your administration comes into power, I want my sons to be in power with you. I want them to have seats of prominence. I want them to have seats of power. I want them to be known because they're going to be with you, right, Jesus? And you can see kind of James and John, they're not going, Mom, shh, no, shh. No, it's kind of like an all-encompassing, yeah, I want that kind of greatness. I want that kind of popularity and power. And yet this is the group that at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus goes, yeah, I got the keys in here somewhere. Here they are. I'm going to risk giving it to you. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, but that was before the resurrection. Shall we go after the resurrection? After the resurrection, uh, Peter, the apostle, the one whom Jesus said uh, the church would stand upon his confession. Peter, the one who would come in and preach to crowds of thousands and thousands more, would come to be baptized. That Peter? Peter would find himself with a bunch of people who were Jewish. And there were some Gentiles, non-Jews. And in Galatians, we find out that Peter didn't want to hang out with the non-Jews anymore. And Paul comes in and begins to rebuke Peter because he knows better. That God's opened up everything for all people. That the church is for everyone. And we are come to a deep recognition over and over and over again. That those that God risks everything on owe everything to Him. You see, one of the things, one of the items that allows us to be risk takers, one of the items that, that we need to, to just have a deep, wonderful conviction about is that God took a chance on us. That God risked everything with us. That although we have our own blunders, that we have our own mistakes, that God, in all of His sovereignty, took a chance and He risked the message and the mystery of the kingdom of God with you and me. And what He did for the disciples, He does for you and I. 
I've been in ministry for 20 years. Can I, can I just confess something to you? I've made lots of blunders. I've made lots of mistakes. I've hurt people when I didn't mean to. I, I, I've, I've, interpreted, I've interpreted things wrongly. I put a comma where God put a period. And, and I say that for this reason. Even though I've made mistakes, even though I know I blundered some stuff up and made a mess of some situations, God still risks having me come and present the word. And can I suggest that he does the same for you? Uh, there's a group of people in our church that do a great job of recognizing uh, that one of the things that we have to do in order to risk is to recognize that God risks something with us. There's a group here at Whiting Christian Church, Celebrate Recovery. I I've talked to Alan, I've talked to Dale Hofling. And I love talking to those guys because it seems like every time I ask them about Celebrate Recovery, uh, the one thing that continues to come up over and over again is that uh, these guys recognize just this wonderful truth that God has taken a chance on them. And because God has been willing to risk giving them something, that God has risked giving them a wonderful grace and setting them free with a, a responsibility uh, to take this word to other people, uh, that they have this wonderful grace that wells up in offering and risking and taking chances on other people. And they have open hands and open hearts and open doors, and lives are changing. Every time I have a conversation with Dale, he's telling me another person who he's met, uh, who, who, who he's shared the gospel with, that he's willing uh, to, to go to the fringes of various, our very society, and he's willing to engage people uh, because he recognizes the great grace that God has given him. God risks something with him, and he's willing to risk with other people. And I love it. God is a risk-taking God. And he's after all of us to be a risk-taking people. So that you can see that God not only took a risk on you, but that he's asking you to take risks on others, would you turn over with me to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. If you're in those hardbound books, it's going to be around page 732. If you're in the soft cover Bibles, it's going to be uh, 1051, I believe. Jesus is coming to town. Now, I don't know what it would be like, but if you can imagine what it would be like if Jesus decided that he was going to announce that his caravan was coming to Whiting. You thought Ragbri was big? What if Jesus came to town? 
Jesus is coming to town. People are following him. Uh, He's gathered up a lot of followers. He's been doing miracles. uh, And he's coming to town. It's coming to Jericho. And and there's a guy there. And he's not a very well-liked person. In in fact, he's, he's a tax collector. We get a sense later on that, uh, that he's not just any tax collector, that he's somewhat of a chief tax collector, which means he is really getting a lot more money than anybody else happens to be getting. Nobody likes him very much. In fact, in order to be a tax collector uh, in Jesus' time, uh, you actually had to kind of turn on your own people. So uh, this guy, his name is Zacchaeus, he's likely a Jew, and he's... He's taking all the money and the land from the Jews, and he's working for the Romans. Nobody likes him very much, but Jesus is coming to town. Now, what you need to know about this story is that the person coming to town, Jesus in this case, the person coming to town did not get to decide where they stayed. And Jesus flips that tradition on its head. Instead of the town deciding where Jesus would stay for the honor of the community, Jesus decides where he's going to stay. And Jesus decides that he is, instead of staying at wherever the town would have him stay, that Jesus is going to stay at the house of this notorious tax collector named Zacchaeus. Look with me, would you please, at Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. God's a risk-taking God. And he wants us to be a risk-taking people. Jesus takes a risk. He comes into town and he flips everything on its head and he decides that he's going to go to this notorious sinner's house for dinner. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going over to your house. I'm going to engage you. I know that nobody else wants you. I know that no one else thinks of you in a high manner. But I must come to your house. That idea of must, again, is this uh, God-given conviction that Jesus has boiling with inside of his heart that he has to go with Zacchaeus. And I wonder if what God is doing in this passage with you and me is he's trying to get us to share that same sort of conviction That when we see others, we would risk something and we would step out and go with them despite what others might say. You see, in order to be a risk-taking people, 
with a risk-taking God. It means that we have to be in secure. We have to be secure in who Jesus is. In order to be risky for Jesus, we have to be secure in Jesus. Our security is in Christ. And so I don't have to worry about what other people say or what other people think. I can just simply say I have this inner conviction that I need to take risks with other people. This last week I was uh, on the phone with one of our uh, former graduates at Nebraska Christian. And uh, a great kid, uh, love he and his bride both. I had the honor of officiating at their marriage and uh, just watching them be in ministry. And they're, they're in a, a large church down in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And I was talking uh, with him this week, and, uh, and he was just sharing with me some things that they're doing in ministry. And, and he said, in fact, uh, yesterday, Saturday, uh, he said, I'm, I'm heading out to Israel. And I said, well, why are you heading out there? And he said, it's interesting, there's an organization that we're working with, we're partnering with in Israel uh, because they're bringing Israelis and uh, Palestinians back together. Uh, they're taking these two ethnic people and they're trying to bring them together in peace. Uh, they're taking um, people who had uh, uh, family members who had had other family members killed by Palestinians and, and Palestinians who had had family members killed by Israelis and they're bringing them together in the same room and trying to help them see that peace is possible in the name of Jesus. And I said, well, that's all really great, but why are you doing that? And he said, because we have a really ethnically diverse city uh, we have refugees constantly coming in uh, into the Phoenix area. We have people seeking asylum in this area, and we're working with our local uh, government officials uh, so that we can be a part of bringing peace in our community. He said, oftentimes what will happen is that uh, government officials will call our church uh, telling us that there's a refugee family that comes and needs help getting settled. And he said, uh, what we've decided is that our small groups, uh, our small groups, uh, what they're going to do with these families is they're going to adopt them for a year. And they, they come in and they clean up their homes and they, uh, they, they put uh, furniture in their homes and they clean it up and make sure everything is right for them. Uh, they'll give them rides so that they know where the grocery store is. Uh, they'll make sure that they are able to get licenses and jobs. And for a year, they will walk with them as new people in a foreign country, uh, trying to help them in every way imaginable. And I said, wow, that's amazing. What a strategic opportunity for the church to be located in their community to love where you live. And church, we're not in Phoenix, Arizona, and we may not have tons of refugees, but we have a community that we can rally around, and we can love where we live by taking risks that no one else will. We can have people into our homes. We can eat with them. We can provide rides for them. If you're a student, you know what I'm talking about because uh, you walk into the cafeteria at your, uh, your school and you know that there's different groups and you know the people that nobody else wants to be associated with and yet, and yet 
you are secure as a person who is in Jesus to do something that no one else will. You are under conviction that you have a risk-taking God and you can be a risk-taking people. And you can risk getting to know people that you wouldn't otherwise get to know. Some of you may have opportunities with people who don't speak the same language as you. Some of you may have opportunities with people that that are of different ethnicity or religion than you. And perhaps God is asking you as a part of Whiting Christian Church, as a Christ follower, to risk the way God risks with you. That you would give a chance And you would risk an opportunity to get to know someone. When we love where we live, we will take risks that no one else will. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for sticking with me. Lord, as we sang that song to you this morning that your love never fails and it never gives up. Lord, there's a part of my heart that, that thinks I've messed up too many times to believe that. But Lord, as I open up your word, I recognize that you will continue to risk your message on my lips. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning that we will live under the conviction that your grace rests with us, that you have risked something for us. And Lord, I pray that as we see you as a risk-taking God, we will risk, we will be a risk-taking people. Lord, help us to reach out and to reach up and to reach around. Help us not stop, Lord, until all of our community comes to know who you are. Lord, will you help us love where we live by taking risks like you would? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.